Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is sports dietitian Natalie Robertello of Beefield Sports Nutrition. Natalie has an amazing background as a sports dietitian. She has all the qualifications, all the education. She is a board certified specialist in sports dietetics. She knows her stuff. But instead of talking about what you should eat, today we're talking about the beliefs that we have around eating certain ways, why we tend to eat a certain way, what it means, the mindset and belief systems we have around fueling in a sport-specific capacity, fueling for performance. And this is a, you may have heard kind of dribs and drabs of conversations uh, in other episodes I have with dietitians, but today we're really diving into the stuff where we talk about diet culture, mindset, fear of carbs, fear of eating too much. Um, The things that we may not realize are preventing us from fueling ourselves to our best and fullest capacity so we can feel our best and perform at our best as well. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Natalie is absolutely fantastic, and I know that it was a great chat for me too. Natalie, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So before we get started on our topic today, go ahead and tell us about yourself. How did you become a runner? And what led you to become a sports dietitian? Oh, gosh. Believe it or not, I used to hate running when I (laughs) – it's a funny story. I did all the sports, like, growing up in high school, you know, track, cross country, soccer, basketball, did it all. And the one thing that was consistent amongst a lot of the sports was the fact that I hated running. So I actually didn't come into consistent running until probably my – oh, my gosh – college years when I got into my internship. I had friends that were running and I was like, hmm, maybe I could join you guys and this could be like a a whole friendship thing, right? So I started there and it's just flourished since then I haven't actually turned back. (laughs) So it sounds like you were actually on a path to become a dietitian before you even laced up your running shoes intentionally. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I became, I became, went on the path to becoming a sports dietitian actually Early on, I knew that coming out of high school, I wanted to continue in the world of sports somehow. So I thought, I want to work with athletes. And I kind of went from there just into my internship and then continued on through my master's, working in the exercise nutrition lab, and then on to becoming an official sports RD. Which, it's nice now, and maybe this is the corner of the world that I inhabit, but it feels like exercise nutrition is really having a heyday, like a bit of a renaissance in the fact that we're bringing you know, the principles of sport nutrition to the everyday athlete. And it's becoming very common for everybody who has even kind of vague performance goals or just goals to be a healthier, happier runner is really looking to optimize uh, their nutrition. A hundred percent. And it's funny, I was just talking to a group not too long ago and I had mentioned the world, the like, world of sports nutrition is relatively new. Like we, I mean, we're talking probably what, 60s, 70s, 80s, like a lot of these concepts became like known, like the earliest concepts of 
oh, carbs actually make us feel better. Oh, we can actually store carbs. Oh, protein does this. So some of these concepts are actually relatively new. And a lot of the research early on was just done in, you know, more elite athletes. And now we can bring it to, I don't want to say the average person, right? But many of us who aren't the elite athlete, because there's such a small percentage of us, but we can use these things for, for the better, for performance, but also feeling good on a regular basis. And that feeling good, that's, that's the key here. Um, mm-hmm. Today we're talking about the kind of the mindset and belief systems that we have about nutrition and fueling. And this really is a conversation that is straight up for the, I do this for fun, this is my hobby, I'm not making a paycheck from breaking the tape, I'm not staying on top of a podium and winning major races, right? The vast majority of runners in this entire world, we do this for personal fulfillment and personal betterment and to push ourselves, not because it's our job. And of course, there are people who take this hobby more seriously. There are people who really just, you know, it is one of the many things that they do. But Mm -hmm. um, the nutrition component, more and more, we cannot ignore the role that fueling and nutrition plays in how we feel just generally how we perform in our sport, but there are a lot of mindsets and belief systems that we tend to have around food and fueling. So we're mm-hmm. talking. This is a, this is a, this is an interesting conversation. I think we're gonna have today. Um, but yeah, tell us more about when you talk about the mindset people have around nutrition and fueling. You know, what is it that you mean by that? Yeah. So mindset, as you kind of just coined it, because I think it's important to actually define that term and what that means. It's a basically belief system that you have around things. And in this situation, that thing is going to be nutrition and fueling. So the thing that I always like to bring home to my clients and any anyone that I'm talking to is that your practices and belief systems around nutrition on a regular basis feed into that fueling for performance. So how you think and do and feel about food on a regular basis is going to play into the nutrition, especially when you get up into racing and training and building. If that foundation of nutrition, like good nutrition is not there, like steady nutrition, consistent nutrition, um, and we'll probably go more into that. If that's not built, it's going to be a lot tougher to be able to handle the training load while feeling good, uh, especially as it gets more challenging near the race. Something that we've talked about before in this podcast and referenced is talking about diet culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like we maybe have kind of glossed over what that means. We talked about it in the context of uh, carbohydrate intake for performance. We've talked yes. about it in the context of, you know, putting together your athlete's plate as a way to um, compose your meals in uh, when you're uh, an athlete. Um, what do you, what do we mean when we talk about diet culture? Yeah. And this, uh, this inevitably we we had to get to this when we're talking about mindset, right? Cause I see mindset coming um, in from a place of, of kind of like very like black and white, all or nothing thinking with nutrition, but I also see it coming in through this so-called you know diet culture and it is a real thing and essentially this is the gosh basically these ideas that were formed through probably different exposures um, different experiences through our life but also different exposures in media friends family and things like that and it affects our belief system and how we think about food so it's very much a dieting type of mindset like how can we how can we eat the least amount of food possible or do the least amount possible in terms of nutrition. 
Um, and a lot of it, unfortunately, is kind of wrapped around this idea of keeping your body as small as can be and keeping it as thin as can be, right? So that's where I see the diet culture being and coming into sport, unfortunately. It's, it's creeped its way into sport as this idea of like, if you're thinner, you're faster and you're better, right? I think a lot of this comes to, like you kind of talked about that, that all or nothing, but that that discipline, like, oh, it's so disciplined to only require this much fuel or how disciplined that person was to say no to their dessert. Um, and like everything, this is a spectrum, right? But I, I, even once you kind of recognize diet culture, it's really hard. Like once you see it, you can't unsee it like black coffee for breakfast being told to drink water if you were hungry because maybe you're just thirsty instead like no maybe you're actually hungry too um <laughs> being told i know there's a lot going on you know on on instagram right now like you know women of a certain age being told that a cup of special k with a some skim milk was like a meal replacement mm. you know like these types of things where i once we realize that we basically especially for women been told for most of our lives that we should try to eat as little as possible mm -hmm. that's that's a really scary place for a lot of people to be in once they see that and be like oh my god what do i actually believe about food yes it, it's so true and you know as you're talking about this i'm just kind of like getting this flash forward of the things that I see once we go down that rabbit hole of like, okay, I'm starting to restrict food intake. And then I'm getting this flash forward of like, then the injury sets in or then the GI issues start to happen. And when those things start to happen, I see people a lot of times even get more restrictive of, oh my goodness, like I'm having GI issues. I must have a food intolerance. Let's take all these foods out, right? Or I'm injured. Now I can't run as much. So I better eat even less, right? So we're creating more issues um, not always intentionally, but we're creating larger issues actually, and it affects our longevity and health as runners. What are some of the the biggest kind of mindset obstacles that you see when an athlete comes to you, and hopefully by the time they're reaching out to you, a dietitian for guidance, right? They're you know they're ready mm -hmm. to make some changes or try to figure out what's going on, if something wrong. What are the most common you know scenarios if you to amalgamate? the average client who comes to you and what they're presenting with and kind of the obstacles and mindset obstacles and beliefs that they have around fueling, you know, what does that look like? I will say, you know, kind of uh, a few things that come off the top of my head, I would say that I'm seeing is they're coming in usually with an issue, right? They're coming in with an issue of I'm not feeling energized throughout my day, or I bonked in the last race and I don't want that to happen again, or I'm having GI issues, or I've worked, I'm working through an injury. So there's these issues that present, but then when we really peel back those layers, we start to see where some of the mindset challenges come in. So, oh, I had this belief that um, I should be, I should only have one carb a day and I should have it before my workout. Um, I have this belief that I shouldn't eat after seven o'clock, even though, you know, I'm going to bed hungry and I'm actually not sleeping through the night. So when we start to peel back those layers, we start to see that how diet culture can actually infiltrate that. And while they may not always realize that they're doing these things and it's hurting them, we start to peel back and say, hey, like look at these collection or one or two things or collection of things that are actually impacting this issue that you're you're working through. And I think that's a really important point is that this is not intentional. Like we're not talking about, 
you know, runners who fit the clinical definition of disordered eating or eating disorder. This is not intentional restriction. This is not, you know, people who are clinically underweight. This is not Mm -hmm. like, oh, if you were to go see a practitioner, you would be diagnosed with an eating disorder. And this is why it's so insidious is because it is all these kind of little, like you said, this this collection, this like little tiny collection that we've built up over the years of us all being alive. We're like, we're not quite sure where that came from, but it came from somewhere and now we believe it. And yes. you know, this is how I've always done it. And this is how, I mean, when I played sports in high school, like I, you know, had black coffee and a salad for lunch and then I played three hours of lacrosse and I was fine. It's like, well, mm-hmm. we're, you know, maybe you weren't, but you were also 16. You're probably a bit more resilient yes. back then than you are yes. now. And so I think that's why yeah. it's important that we kind of call out some of these things that are, and I, I, and this is why I like to do very specifically, like these are things that if the listener is like, oh, wait, maybe that, oh, I believe that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other things that you see, especially with endurance runners, right? So if we're talking about half and full marathon or longer um, endurance events. Yeah, yeah. I would say to kind of touch back on what you were mentioning too, I think it's important that if you have done different, let's say, programs or or, um, health journeys or diets, if you will, a lot of times people kind of pull and even experiences, like I said, with family, they pull like nuggets from those and end up formulating their own diet, unfortunately. And that's where some of those thought patterns come in. Uh, But some of the things that I see to answer your question is especially leading up into races is number one, the challenge with increasing carbohydrates. And there is, and it's, I, I, it's certainly infiltrated. It used to be like a long time ago, not a long time ago, but I remember. And when I was younger, seeing my, my mom and my parents, not specifically my mom, but a lot of the like low fat, right? And now we Snack are in this Wells, cookies, zero Snack fat. Wells. Oh my God, they tasted like <laughs> brown cardboard. <laughs> oh yeah, my gosh, Snackwells, wow. <laughs> and Jenny Craig meals, like yes. the tiny pre-prepared, like zero fat meals, those types yes. of things. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then we went into like more of the low carb and, you know, either one is, is an issue, right? Whether it's low fat, we're going to create hormone issues. If it's low carb, we're going to create issues with not having enough um, energy. But regardless, we're going to create an energy availability issue, right? So I will say the carbs is one of those things. And we'll like go through some education of, okay, this is, this is the way we want to put our plates together based on our training. Like, let's work at this. Because a lot of times when I show them that plate, it's like, oh my goodness, you, that's, that's every meal. That's, that's not for the whole day. I think that's my favorite question. This is for the whole day, right? No, this is at every single meal we're doing this. So it's training to eat a little bit more food while you're actually trading from a carbohydrate standpoint. And then the extra challenge is, is building up the amount of carbohydrates you need to take in during training. That one is a really hard one for people. Even to get people to carry things on, on their runs is like incredibly challenging. It's interesting, and I do work with clients, obviously, I provide general, very specific nutritional advice and always mm-hmm. refer out to dietitians or, you know, guide them to episodes like this one that I've had registered dietitians on before, you know, but in providing nutrition advice to my one-on-one clients who I work with and say, you know, these are the athlete's plate guidelines. This is the research that shows that this is our carb load target. This is our, you know, carbs per hour in our, in our endurance events. Um, it's interesting. I find that there are athletes who have like, there are some athletes who are look at the whole kind of thing and are just like, they are, it's like kind of a, a short circuit. Like, 
all of this is really scary. I like I don't know how I can't even process you know the things that I'm I'm being presented with here and it's kind of like nothing kind of makes it through Mm -hmm. but I also find that some of the athletes that I work with um like they seem to like you said kind of we amalgamate our own way of eating they seem to like kind of pick and choose what feels really manageable (laughs) so like I've worked with some athletes who have absolutely no problem hitting 60 to 70 grams per hour of carbohydrate in long runs when we're training for things like a marathon but they are struggling to eat enough you know, even for a rest day plate on their long run days, or maybe they're, they're taking in, um, plenty of fuel on the run, but they're like not bringing water, <laughs> yeah. you know, or they're like, they're meeting their protein needs, but you know, they're leaving out the carbs. Like it's really, you know, yes. it, it's just, it's interesting. And I understand as we're talking about this kind of, you know, the belief system, like there's a lot of emotion and, and fear in a lot of the ways of eating, but it's really interesting to see it in real time where it's like, you know, this is not a problem, but this is a problem, you know? Yes. And even though in our perspective, like carbs per hour in a run and like, make sure you eat carbs for recovery. Like those are, those are equivalent in my mind, but some people, you know, have trouble with certain aspects of these recommendations. Yeah. And I, I really, I love that you mentioned this because it's kind of like putting this priority and naturally it wouldn't become as a priority if you're a runner, right? We need to do these things to feel good and to excel performance wise. But I like to encourage people, especially if you're, again, thinking of your longevity in the sport and what's going to help propel you forward. You can do all the things, right? Intro workout, it's great. We love that you're doing these things. But if you're not consistently doing these things as far as nutrition and and eating enough outside of those workouts, you're you're really just, you're limiting yourself. You're really holding yourself back because you still need to have that foundation built, right? You're just like pulling, you're not giving your body enough resources. And I think this is especially important right now as we kind of wind down for the season. Don't, don't do this in the off season, right? Like I know the nutrition, for a lot of people, the nutrition starts to become for whatever reason, less important because the season's over and they're not training as much, or maybe they've stepped down their training, right? Maybe it's less intense and quote, unquote, they're just doing it for fun. But it's very important that you keep this base built and, and you keep it developed so that when you're ready to tap back into it, you're ready to go, right? Yeah, there's a whole, I mean, a whole conversation about off-season nutrition. Right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, it could be. <laughs> but I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up in general is that that our nutrition should and needs to change depending on the season of training that we're in. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, and I, again, I understand this, this kind of demystifying nutrition is a very big concept for a lot of people. You know, when, when runners finally feel like they have their in-season nutrition nailed down, then we're asking them to change it again. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're like, wait, I just, I just, ha- I just became comfortable eating my heavy day plate on long run days. And now you're telling me I have to change it up again because I'm only running 75 minutes of my longest. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I know. I know. And I'm going to make this simpler than it sounds, but the big differences, most commonly, and I'm just speaking generally, what I see with my clients is you may just have to, you may just not be relying on the carbs during workout, depending on the length of your workouts. You may not have to bring those with you, again, depending uh, if you're having, you know, less than 60 minute runs. And then the other thing is, you know, you may shift the carbohydrate portions on your plate a little bit and get a little extra veggies, right? I mean, we're not talking about huge changes but just small shifts. And heck, like if you want to keep your plate the same as your your in-season plate, you go for it. You don't have to change it, but it's something that 
the carbs, the extra carbs are just extremely beneficial when you're in season because your body has demands for that at that time. Especially if your base is relatively high volume. Like if yes. your off season is 30 to 40 miles per week, like your, your in season nutrition and your, and your base season nutrition don't look that much different. Exactly. And, and in those situations, yeah, you probably are still going to have to use the intra-workout carbs and electrolytes and fluids, right? That might That's, not change all that much. This is a year round process. <laughs> you may need like 10 gels instead of 20. I don't know. I'm just making that up. But <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up, you said, you know, talking about like, how do I carry that much fuel? I've actually, and I'm sure you hear this too. I've heard that as a, as a straight up objection for why the runner cannot fuel adequately during their long runner race is that they they say, I don't know where to put all my gels. Are you telling me I, I have to carry 12 gels to run my marathon? Yes. 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 <laughs> Shorts with pockets. That's where I put mine. Yes. And well, uh, you probably do this too, but a lot of times we talk about like intentional training days of like, okay, this is your training day. It's not necessarily um, a speed or a pace work day. This is your maybe long run day. I want you to practice with this. Or maybe it's a shorter run. I like to do shorter runs just so you get comfortable with things actually being on your body and you're carrying things just to get used to the feeling. It's going to feel super uncomfortable at first. It's not going to feel great, but you have to like play and experiment with these things to find out what works best. Maybe it's a sports bra where you tuck things in. Maybe you don't want to do a waist belt with your water bottle. Maybe a handheld works good. Maybe you love the backpack. You need to find what works for you. And yeah, it's all about practicing, practicing, practicing. And yeah. if it, you know, you'd much rather have it go wrong in training than on race day. Yes. Yes. I even have people that will stash things like they'll park and they'll stash things in their car. Cause they're like, absolutely not. I'm not going to carry that on me now. So we just play with that idea. You know, you have to kind of wiggle and find what works for you, but, um, you just, once you find it, you find it. This all goes back to the, 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 the fear, the deep seated fear of too much that we shouldn't that I'm being it's almost like I'm being asked to do something that feels wrong like you're telling me that this is what I'm supposed to be doing but this feels like it goes against what I have been taught my entire life Mm -hmm. you know about eating enough carbohydrates and and this you know and so to be told that you know on a on a long run day half that plate needs to be carbohydrate and especially again, not to generalize, but I see this a lot with female athletes. Mm-hmm. That is like, I've asked them to like go sleep outside in the middle of winter and like bring their children with them. They're like, are you kidding me? That's insane. Like I would never do that, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep. It's it's true. It's true. It's 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 definitely a hard one. And I just encourage you, like when you have those thoughts coming up, you need to ask yourself, like, oh, why is this coming up right now? Like, why is this happening? And you're probably going to lead yourself to the answer, right? Um, there's probably a fear that's coming up for you of something you've been told or an experience you had, or maybe it is a fear around, you know, weight or body change. But we have to remember that a fueled runner is a better performing runner, regardless of how your body's going to respond from a weight or shape standpoint. Um, again, longevity and health in the sport and feeling your best during workouts, I think, and no matters the most. And this is, it's okay if it's a process, right? We're not expecting like, oh, but now you know everything's gonna be fixed. You know, it's this is an undoing of sometimes decades of these intentional or unintentionally learned behaviors. Yes, 100%. And show yourself some compassion with it because like you may have like layers, like years and layers of these thoughts these thoughts and beliefs built. So even when you feel like something's going really good, you may have something that throws you off. Like Thanksgiving is coming up, right? 
uh, Christmas is coming up, right? So when we think of these things, just the holidays in general for people, regardless of what you celebrate, these things can come up when we're with family. And you may think like, oh, I got this feeling thing down pat. And then Aunt Susie looks at you and she's like, you're going to eat that, right? She looks at your plate and you're like, oh my gosh, this really affected me. So you can... We can get thrown off of our game, but it's important to remember that it is a process and we can slowly like work through these things. And it's not something once you got it, you got it. It may be, there may be some challenges along the road, but it doesn't mean you, you need to give up. You can keep powering through those things. There's also, it's not even that necessarily somebody has to say something to you. And this is, I challenge everybody to kind of uh, observe this in family gatherings, whether the upcoming holidays or just going forward, is if you watch other people's um, communication around food, like, ooh, I shouldn't have the second piece of pie. Or like, oh, I know it's fattening, but, you know, referring to whatever food it is, um, that, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of no wonder that so many people have a bit of a messed up relationship with food when we are, it's everywhere, you know, and people who you love dearly, who may hold relatively, you know, reasonable beliefs about many things yeah. are, are saying this to nobody in particular, but just saying it out loud and you happen to be there, it's really hard not to let that affect you, whether you realize it or not. Right, right. No, the nonverbal stuff is, it's, it really is a lot. It's, it can affect us very similarly, right? I also see this a lot around liquid calories. Um, as a sign, so I want to talk about because for a long time we have been told that liquid calories are empty calories. You may as well just like set yourself on fire before you drink a soda <laughs> or you know anything from Starbucks. And then of course when you go through the process of training for a, a, any sort of endurance event, you may not you may be encouraged to actually get some of your carbohydrates specifically from liquid calories. And that I've had people like in working with athletes, you know, say like, okay, we're carb loading. You may find it helpful to use liquid calories, like a sport drink. And they're like, yes. oh, cool. I brought some Gatorade zero. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> the one with sugar in it, like the one with calories in it, you know, it's so, it's so ingrained to yes. not drink your calories. Yeah. Yeah. We do have to be pretty specific about that, but it is, it is true. I mean, to get to, you know, six, seven, 800, however many grams of carbohydrates you need in the carb load period, because it's often, you know, a lot. And when I say that to people, they're like, oh yeah, that's a lot. And then we actually look at the numbers and how that breaks down. To get there without liquid calories, like without adding some juice and OJ and, and those drinks in there, it's hard and it's exhausting and you're not gonna feel great, honestly. Like you need the help of that stuff. I want to talk about that a little bit more and just talk about carb loading in general and mm -hmm. some advice that you have to give. Um, I, a lot, a lot of my athletes are done with their fall races. Uh, you know, for anything half marathon above, we absolutely went through some carb loads and there were some real struggles mm -hmm. with be, uh, with consuming even kind of the bare, the low end of their carbohydrate recommendations in their carb load. And I had a lot of runners, you know, kind of after the fact say, you know, I, I barely, even with liquid calories, I was barely, barely able to eat enough carbohydrates per the calculations that we had. Um, mm -hmm. And I wanna, I wanna talk about some of the numbers and kind of why we recommend grams per kilogram of body weight per day, that sort of thing. But when a runner comes to you and says, you know, I can't carb load. I'm physically incapable of eating that many carbohydrates in one day. You know, what are some of the things that cross your mind when you hear that? Well, the first thing that crosses my mind, and I like to explore it because I never like to make, you know, assumptions by any means. But the first thing that comes up to me is 
what is the what is the fear or what is the belief behind this and why you can't do this and once we really talk that out because we we need to talk that out it's important right this is like very uh important for you with this race so once we talk that out what i'm generally seeing is usually there is more so a fear more than anything else um, and if they have not gotten to that point or they can't get to that point of reaching the carb load that we want them to be at then we have to modify it and see how it goes with the race right like we don't need the all or nothing it's not like we hit these numbers or not but i'm going we're going to challenge you and we're going to push the envelope a little bit because we do need to get you used to it right it can be hard if you're not eating that amount of carbohydrates to go from like zero to 100 so we may have to just train your gut a little bit to be able to tolerate these things too but usually there's something behind it and we got to dig deep there would that be a concern that maybe the athletes not eating enough carbohydrate in their regular life as well Yes, 100%, 100%. And I can usually see that quickly, you know, off the bat once I'm looking at some food journals and things like that. But that's usually pretty indicative that um, they they don't, that they're not eating enough on a regular basis. And we can, I can sometimes sense that even through when people share what their food likes and dislikes are. Sometimes they'll just put foods that maybe they're a little fearful of eating too in those dislikes. I'm curious, how often do you see an athlete who is uh, receiving adequate energy intake overall, like they're eating enough, but they're not eating enough carbohydrate mm -hmm. versus um, are you, do you typically see athletes who are not eating a carbohydrate for their needs are also under eating just from a caloric standpoint? Yeah, I what I generally see for the most part, at least in my practice is usually it's a overall energy like a low energy intake or low calorie intake using those words interchangeably calorie and energy because calories are energy but usually it's an overall low calorie intake and within that is a little carb like a carb depletion or not eating enough carbohydrates so usually we have to raise the total calories regardless but a large portion of that being from carbohydrates how many people kind of freak out when you tell them that they need to eat more yeah, usually most people do. They're like, what, what are you talking about? Like, I need to eat more. Or some people are like, heck yeah, I'd love to eat more. And it's funny, because now that we're talking about this, it I've noticed maybe a trend with um, maybe age more than anything. When we start to talk about this, it actually uh, is bringing that up for me right now. I usually see a trend with age. Interesting, as in yeah. younger people are more likely to want to eat more? I would say from the standpoint of when I'm talking to younger people, they're willing to eat a little bit more. Um, and with older people, um, and you know, what does that, what does that mean? I know, but with the, with older people, uh, tend to kind of get a little freaked out when we talk about increasing more. And usually they're very straight up. They're like, I'm going to gain weight. You want me to eat more of that? I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to gain weight. I'm, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to run. Right. So this is the things that generally come up. Uh, and sometimes male versus female athletes, this will come up too, where males are like, heck yeah, let's do this. And then with the females, they're like, are you nuts? Especially, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but especially uh, as, you know, women, we reach um, age of menopause and there are a lot of hormonal mm -hmm. fluctuations. Mm -hmm. Adequate energy intake is even more important because there's a lot that happens around how our body um, a composition can change yes. as our hormones change and under eating kind of just makes everything worse. <laughs> yes, those hormones need so much love through food and energy balance. Yeah. 
I want to go back to car bloating because I feel like this yeah. is, I mean, you know, this is kind of a, of the things when, when an athlete gets to the point where they're like, yes, I'm, I'm fueling in my runs. I've got my pre-run snack. I have my recovery nutrition. I generally feel like on most days I'm eating my, my caloric needs and my energy needs. And then the carb loading, again, not every runner, um, but the carb loading tends to be kind of the next, like the, we've just gotten them used to adequate intake in training. And then we're asking them to do even more, <laughs> even for just a couple days. Yes. Um, so when we talk about carb loading. I know there are some numbers. Carb loading is based on body mass, not on um, your predicted finish time, not on how fast you can run. Um, mm -hmm. What are the general, what's the general range of carbohydrate loading uh, intake that we're looking at for these multi-hour, really anything over 90 minutes in a race event. Yeah. Yeah. I really like to look at the range of 10 to 12 grams per kilogram of body weight. And naturally we do want to look at the gram per kilogram, especially when we talk about, uh, gender differences. Uh, we don't want to go up based on percentages with macronutrients with overall like, calorie goals, because we get in the trouble of not eating, especially for female athletes, we get in trouble of not eating enough overall from a carbohydrate standpoint. So sticking within that range of like gram per kilogram is usually a pretty good way to do it. And I'd like to kind of add like a little bit of a caveat too, for people who aren't comfortable or don't feel comfortable with looking at the numbers because it uh, makes them uneasy. It makes you feel anxious to look at the numbers piece. That is where working working with probably a sports dietitian where one-on-one -on -one can help you because we, I can help to, or a sports dietitian can help to explain it to you and help you learn differently to be able to carb load without doing the nitty gritty of like, I need to write down every gram of carb I'm having. There is a way is what I want to say. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline something I encourage and I yes I, this is something I'm very front with my athletes and say look look you know if if you don't feel comfortable reading labels if that's triggering for you like you know this, this there are other ways and other resources you can have but for athletes who yeah. are comfortable with that yeah um I it's interesting I what I what I asked them to say they're not working with the dietitian and I kind of step in to to fill that education gap and say generally speaking this is not diet advice but here's what I recommend um what I asked them to do is you know we do for those who work in pounds, I feel like converting everything to kilograms kind of helps provide a layer of separation. So that's why I still like to work in kilograms when we're doing yeah. this, right? Instead of being like, this is, you know, so take your um, weight in pounds, approximate weight in pounds, divide by 2.2 to get kilograms. Mm -hmm. And then let's say for the, you know, it's we're looking at a 70 kilogram person and we're aiming for 10 grams of kilo, per kilogram of body weight per day, it's 700 grams of carbohydrates per day which is a hefty piece of carbs. Oh, that's yeah. a lot. <laughs> um, what I, what I like my athletes to do instead of saying, I want you to sit out and start just running the numbers. I say, I want you to just come up with a day of eating, just write it down. What you feel like off the top of your head would be an adequate day of eating to reach these carbohydrate goals. Mm -hmm. And then I ask them to put some numbers behind it. 
and then I say, and then we fill the gap. Um, and sometimes they come in way under, way under. And that's always an interesting teachable moment. It is. And I love that approach that you do because there is like a lot of teaching involved with that. And it's really cool to be able to help them connect the dots. Um, and I hope I'm not overstepping my scope of practice and then like I am not a dietitian, but you know, I am trying to help you because I understand that, you know, dietitians are, are not uh, a luxury, unfortunately, that everybody can access. Um, yeah, but yes, absolutely. No, I think that's great. I think it's great that you do that. Uh, do you often, I, I'm asking you the question now, do you often find, cause I see this a lot of times where, um, people are incorporating very nutrient dense foods, like calorically not dense, but nutrient dense foods. And then we have to be like, well, those salads that you're having with some, you know, chickpeas and stuff like that, lots of fiber, lots of carbs. So we have to really probably go with a different game plan for that meal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I find this, especially, um, you know, the people who are really used to eating very high fiber diets. Yes. Um, and that there's actually in uh, in one of the training groups that I'm running right now, a fall, a late fall marathon group where we're going through our, you know, everybody's in the fall races and we're just talked about carb loading and there's this whole thread in the group right now about the fiber content of different oatmeals <laughs> different um, oatmeal different you know so like instant oatmeal versus like yeah. whole like rolled oat oatmeal like how much fiber is too much fiber and then you know kind of pointing out somebody posted something like would this be a good example of carb loading and I kind of broke it down and said you know, you're getting about 60% of your of your you know of this is is a carbohydrate um you're getting this, you know, this much fat, this much protein. Um, this isn't even, and overall, the thing was like, you know, what I would deem a hefty snack, right? Yeah. About 250 calories overall. And I'd say, you know, not only is it not carbohydrate loading, it's not even a meal, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I think that's really interesting when, you know, we don't, and we shouldn't be going through life reading labels, mm -hmm. but in this hyper-specific sport you know, um, sports science period of what we're trying to accomplish, you might need to do a little label reading. Yeah, no, there's totally, there's totally room for education with that to know what is a good quality carb source. And when I say good quality in this context, I want to be clear, uh, carbohydrate dense type of carbohydrate specific to the carb loading, because if you're filling your day with high fiber foods that have some carbs in them, Number one, you may not be getting enough carbs in that meal, but number two, you're really going to impact your appetite that day too because you have so much fiber in that meal that it's gonna make it very difficult for you to eat the amount of carbs you need to eat because you're probably gonna delay your actual hunger cue because you've eaten so much fiber. And a lot of people I think don't even realize, you know, foods that they may have labeled high carbohydrate are not. Yes. Um, like quinoa. Yeah. <laughs> quinoa has carbohydrates in it. Mm -hmm. It's not the highest carb grain out there, you know, like if you're carb loading, let's do some white rice instead of quinoa, you know, I was <laughs> like, gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love white rice for carb so loading. Um, but you know, it, it's really interesting that we kind of thinking about fueling our bodies and nutrition and that we, you know, fueling ourselves to be happy, happy healthy humans. Mm -hmm. And then taking this and saying in this very specific period before my race, I am prioritizing things which I've basically been told my entire life are the worst things I could possibly eat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like Pop-Tarts and white rice and, and full sugar Gatorade and like all these things. And we are telling you like, that's what you want. That's what you need. Right, 
right? It's it's like a low hanging fruit at that point to be able to get in the carbohydrates that you need because fact of the matter is like all carbs are going to break down into sugar into glucose at some point and they are going to feed directly into your glycogen stores for that rice. So your body's not going to necessarily discriminate at that point like oh where's this going or ever <laughs> but make it make it easier for yourself to be able to do that and I think that this conversation too just makes me think of like what are you defining as, as healthy, because I think when we think of like, what is healthy, you know, a lot of times we go gravitate more to, towards maybe those higher fiber and low calorie foods. And it's not, not necessarily the case. So we have to wrap our mind around maybe building new habits and a new mindset around nutrition to be able to do this. Yeah. And I, I mean, even in, in the groups that I've worked with this year in the carb loading process, I've had people tell me like, you know, I eat very clean as like, you oh, know, that word. I, I, and we've done a, I've done a whole episode on this about clean eating and like orthorexia and like you know yes. the, the kind of slippery slope that that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I I I buy very you know minimally processed foods. Like mm-hmm. okay cool like this is nobody is attacking you know any sort. They're not saying that the way you're eating is wrong or right because right. there is no wrong or right. There is no good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I love when people actually understand what happens in your digestive system a piece of candy corn and a piece of corn break down into the same thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. at the end, the, the sugar in it is still sugar as far as your body is concerned, no matter where it's coming from. Of course, the corn right. has, you know, other stuff in it too. But, right, um, right. you know, that like, I, 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 I can't, I don't eat white bread or I don't eat processed foods or mm-hmm. I don't eat, you know, I don't drink my calories. I, I don't eat, drink soda. Um, the, the kind of the stories that we tell ourselves about the way that we eat and how it defines us, mm-hmm. I think is really fascinating. It is, because it's almost like this personality trait, right? <laughs> I know people who have made their diets into personality traits. <laughs> oh yes, me too, we all, we all have known those people. But you know, it's, it's, it's wild to me because like you said, once you start to pay attention, you can like notice these things, right? It's, an, it's an unavoidable to notice the diet culture type things. But to me, you know, if someone, if I hear that someone did a, a race, we did a half, we did a full without any gels and, and they're talking about that, I'm like, what? Like you did, that's, that's not, no. Like, why would you do that? But I've heard people say like, oh, like it's a badge of honor to do those things. And it's like, well, no, it's, it's really not. It's not, that's hurting you. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, and having, as somebody who, who did a couple marathons um, without gels before I knew what I was doing, you Same. can. It sucks. Yep. <laughs> You'll be much faster once you figure out your fueling. I promise you that. <laughs> Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> exactly. Um, I feel like a lot of this, we talk about the the recommendations for sports nutrition, always comes back to, I'm afraid of eating too much. Mm-hmm. That's too much. That plate's too full. That's too many carbs. That's too many calories. That feels like, that feels like too much food. Mm-hmm. What's usually, again, unpacking this, Yeah. when somebody tells you, I, I'm afraid of eating too much, mm-hmm. what are they really trying to communicate? Usually, in my experience, what they're trying to communicate is that they have this belief around what a plate should look like for them. And behind that is usually has to do with weight control. 
And that has been my experience. Um, usually it's from a, a maybe growing up in a household where plates looked a certain way, or maybe there was some dieting talk in the house, or you know maybe they had experiences with dieting or weight loss in the past. So usually that's what comes up when people are afraid to maybe work on expanding their plate or eating a little bit more in most cases. Sometimes, like truthfully, if people are having GI issues or you know stomach issues, sometimes that can be a fear too. Or maybe they have some, um, yeah, f- food issues. It's, it's not always a sensitivity, so I don't want to say that. But sometimes that could be a fear too. Is like, oh, when I eat more, I don't feel good. So we need to pull back the layers there and actually see what's happening, because that can go so many ways. Is it a food sensitivity? Or is it just from times of uneating? Is it anxiety? Is there something else going on? Do we need to get more people involved here to be able to help you? What I think is fascinating is that learning that um, chronic GI issues are actually can be a sign of chronic underfueling. Oh yeah. And that's I think people don't think that they'll you know mm-hmm. oh I have and like you said earlier in our conversation oh I have GI issues I'd better cut out this thing maybe this will fix my GI issues and then they end up eating less and then eating less and then they're backed into a corner um and I mean most people's response to having GI distress is not to eat more so I understand like the reaction to why we would approach it this way but tell us tell us why GI distress and GI issues are a symptom of chronic underfueling yeah I mean essentially when you are under eating or yes, under eating is the way we're going, I'm gonna put it, you're taking away resources from your body. So in general, we have, our metabolism is comprised up of a part of it is our resting metabolic rate. And this is everything calorie-wise, energy-wise that we need to just function on the inside. Things that we don't even realize are happening on a regular basis, right? So if we are under eating, beyond that point of what our resting metabolic rate or our basal metabolic rate is, this is when we start to pull from resources that help our body flow, help our body function. So that's digestion, that's uh, breathing, that's our heart pumping. This is all the things, right, that make our body flow. So from a digestion standpoint, when we don't have enough, it starts to slow things down. And when we don't have enough nutrients coming in, this can cause issues with digestion and absorption of those nutrients. So this can create more compounding issues there too. So in general, it's it's not having the resources for your GI system to do what it needs to do. In the past what, 10, 10, 15 years, um, elimination diets have become very mainstream. Oof, do you have a yeah. lot of people who come to you and say, I've eliminated everything I can possibly eliminate and I'm still having GI issues. And you have to say, well. <laughs> yep, yep, it, it, it's true, it's true. And that's usually when people kind of come into my world over the GI issues, they've tried a lot of things in the past as far as elimination diets go or supplements go, or maybe they've been through the gamut of testing with their GI doctor. They've gotten all the scopes done, they've gotten all the blood work done, and they've come up with no answers. So. In those cases, that's where we do have to do a deep dive in on the nutrition to see, okay, I'm just trained. Like I'm always like, are you eating enough? That's the first thing that I want to see is are you eating enough food in the first place? So, and then we can look at other things like obviously hydration and fiber and all these other things. But I need to look at if you're eating enough first, because if you don't, again, no resource, the resources aren't available for your GI system to do what it needs to do, digest, absorb food make a create a healthy gut environment in general uh move food throughout and i do this because i'm thinking of you know everything moving through your gut like this i i imagine it like this (laughs) but um 
to make everything move through the way that it should, right? And to have healthy bowel movements, right? It all starts with the mouth and it all goes through and it all has to come out. <laughs> Um, the, the, the elimination diet, kind of the fear of weight gain, uh, that's something I think it's important to kind of dive into a little bit more because a lot Mm -hmm. of runners who find running as adults, myself included started running for weight loss or weight management. Mm -hmm. Um, whether they just wanted to lose weight or maybe they were postpartum and wanted to lose weight or, you know, maybe whatever their traditional form of exercise wasn't managing their weight for them. And so there, we have a, a huge number of runners who enter the sport with the twin ideas of high volume exercise and low calorie intake kind of embedded into their initial approach to running, you know, as they just, you know, and and that doesn't really go away, right? There, There are very few points in time in which, you know, it's really hard to say, oh, maybe I should be eating more now. It's like once you, once you start seeing that weight change, it's very hard to then step away and say, I should probably stop restricting now. Um, Do you find this commonly as well in, in the populations you work with? I've definitely seen, seen this happen, right? And it's, it's this cycle, right? We attach these two things of, of running and the exercise, the running, and the low food intake is going to get me where I want to go. But we have to remember that this is... is limited as far as time goes. So if that was your desire to do that and you saw some of the change you wanted to see as far as body composition goes, your body's not meant to stay regardless in a energy deficit or a calorie deficit for an extended period of time because this is where we can run into issues with relative energy deficiency, um, causing bone and hormone and a, a slew of GI issues, a slew of other issues. Um, so I encourage people to think of even the longevity. So if you arrived in here wanting the weight change or body composition change, and you saw some of that change, do you want the longevity in the sport? Do you want it to be like a part of you and you to continue? Do you love the community? Do you love the racing? Well, if you do, you really do have to think of the longevity because if not, these issues are real issues. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't take them more seriously until they happen. And then it's, it's hard to, it's not impossible because I help people with that all the time, but it's hard to come out of that after. How often do you see people have really kind of insurmountable belief systems or like a refusal to consider eating more out of that fear of gaining weight? And when, when would it be appropriate to see kind of a higher level of care? Yeah. So with my background and working with uh, a variety of athletes, I do work with some um, eating disorder, people with eating disorders. So I generally do the screen with everyone because eating disorders and disordered eating without going down um, the rabbit hole here are two different things. You can have disordered eating habits and patterns without having an eating disorder. So I'm always screening with anyone that I work with for disordered eating habits so that we can start to address them and have conversations about them early and open up the, just kind of get it in plain sight of like, okay, I noticed this and you want to be here. Like, can we make this work? So we'll work at making these changes. But if we hit this like block and 
the client can't make the changes or work towards making those changes, then I see that as, as an issue. And that's where we might get someone else on board. Uh, if they're really scared to increase their food intake, um, or maybe they're increasing their exercise to offset the extra food that they're taking in, uh, they're unwilling to incorporate speci very specific foods of, out of food fears, then I want to make sure that we have a therapist on board to kind of work on some of those pieces and get more people involved to better support that athlete. Do you generally see, I mean, I hope to see the trend that the, uh, the desire for increased performance tends to override many of the initial fears about changes in body composition and changes in food intake. Because mm -hmm. that's, I mean, I, that for me, that was a really kind of a turning point in my in my journey with nutrition is that I went from this place of wondering, you know, do I want to be fast or do I want to be as skinny as possible? You know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I realized that my, my priorities were really about performance and that's what really helped me kind of change my relationship with fueling in general. Um, yes. Is that, I mean, I, I would hope everybody would be able to kind of get to that point and say, I do want to be the performance oriented athlete. I don't want to be chasing this arbitrary body size or body fat percentage. Yes. Yeah, no, totally. A lot of people are very willing to work on that, right? They, they totally are. They're able to prioritize and put it aside because you have to have those conversations of like, okay, what really is the goal here? Right. Um, and I will say the majority of the people, like I said, are willing to work on that, but then there are people who aren't so much are really having a hard time overcoming this fear of weight gain and body change. And there's some more deep rooted beliefs and bigger things, more clinically significant things going on. And that's when more help is needed. Right. Um, so yeah. With social media today, I, I feel like, first of all, when I, when I try to gently point out that m many things in our world are trends, whether we realize them or not, and I feel like mm -hmm. we saw this, we mentioned it earlier, the low fat diet craze and then the low carb diet <laughs> craze. And it feels like there are a lot more of these like bizarre kind of random trends around nutrition. Obviously not everything you read on the internet is, uh, is, you know, legitimate. Um, there are some wonderful pockets of advice in some wonderful corners like the ones that you and I hang out in. Yeah. But there are a lot of people getting weird diet information from places like TikTok uh, and Instagram and well, Twitter, probably not for much longer on Twitter. Um, what are some of the more interesting trends? I want to say interesting with like a interesting trends that you have maybe seen recently that people have found uh, online. Yeah, yeah. And I will full disclaimer this. I have not subjected myself to TikTok. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. So I might not be all up on the trends, but I get some of it through my, I joke with my younger clients, like I stay like cool, like and, and relevant with the lingos and things that are going on through some of my younger clients. But um, I would say the things that I see most alarming are, you know, food substitutions with things that are not, I don't want to say not meant to be food substitutions, but when you are an athlete and active and priorities are carbs, we're gonna go back to that conversation and we're doing food substitutions with like zucchini and cauliflower and all these things that are taking place of carbs in your diet, then that that's, that is a problem, right? And if you like them, that's cool, but they're not going to have the same effect as eating the actual real carb source for your performance. Yeah, 
I feel like like everything was cauliflower at one point. It literally felt oh. like everything was made out of cauliflower. And I I ate plenty of cauliflower. Cauliflower right. pizza and cauliflower rice and like it sucks. <laughs> Just right. like the regular thing. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, other trends and I know that these aren't necessarily like new trends, but I still I still see them, so I still have to talk about them is, you know, doing things like intermittent fasting and trying to become more fat adapted by doing things in your training versus what you're doing in uh, for a carb load or close to the race. Uh, I've seen interesting things around that too and beliefs that are held there. So we have to, when we work together, like work on scaling back from those things because they're a problem. Like if you're coming to me to talk about them and you're not seeing the things that you want to see as far as goals, then it's probably a problem. And we've talked about intermittent fasting on this show before. Um, yeah. Nobody here, including myself, including all the very qualified dietitians that I've had on, recommends it or is a fan nope. in any capacity. Nope. Um, something else I think is really interesting is, is and I, I really appreciate a lot of the dietitians who are calling out the companies doing this, the way that certain companies are marketing their products um, about being, so I'll, I'll say this, like, um, electrolyte companies marketing their product as like all day energy or like no sugar, everything you need, you know, nothing you don't. Um, or even a recent email that went out from a very widely regarded website that offers fueling about mm-hmm. how fasting is the key to weight loss, which is like absolutely not. This is really hard when we are when we when we use some of the and I, I've been shocked at some of the marketing that products that I personally use and enjoy have engaged in. I'd be like, this is straight up wrong. I love your product. Your marketing's crap um, and dangerous. Yep. It's really hard for a, an athlete, a consumer who is willing to put their money into these expensive sport products who are then being sent emails by these same companies telling them that carbs are bad, fasting is good, you just need caffeine, you don't need, you know, like, yeah, that's so frustrating. It really is. And I know what specific instance you're talking, instance you're talking about. A couple and I recently. Have, <laughs> yes, yes. And there's a few over the past year that I can think about. So we won't name names, but I know what you're talking about. And it frustrates me to no end because when you're deciding to purchase these things from a company or welcome them into your emails that, you know, it's it's just like a violation, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, a violation of that trust of like, we're going to talk about these things um, for money and marketing more than we care about your health. That's what I see it as. And it's it's just purely frustrating. What about what's interesting to me is the, is the electrolyte thing, too, because oh. we didn't even touch on this. I mean, no. you need carbohydrates and fluids and electrolytes. You need all of it. Yes. And that yes. there are there's one there's one electrolyte company out there who I think make a great product who they were founded by some or co-founded by somebody who is like super hardcore into that low carb um, kind of ketogenic diet world. Mm -hmm. And so the lot of their marketing communication reflects that. And it's really challenging for me to like send my clients the recommendation of using this product, knowing that they might be exposed to this weird verbiage and then having to like explain that the marketing's BS, just buy the product. (laughs) I know. And I've done that too. You know, unfortunately, if I really do like a product and I, I feel like it's a good fit for this person, I'm like full disclaimer, like this is what they say, this is BS, but I think that this might work for you. Let's try it out. Um, but I've seen that and I am thinking of a recent instance because electrolytes and sports drinks, we're talking about this now. So they're, they're 
They're different things, but also similar things. All sports drinks have electrolytes, but they also have the carbohydrates that you're needing when you're exercising over, right, 16 to 90 minutes, or may have uses elsewhere. And like carb loading, right, or maybe pre-workout if you can't eat solids. And then we have electrolytes, which are the electrolytes, right, the minerals. So you're not getting the carbohydrates with those electrolytes. So for those to be your choice when you're going out for runs, especially with these longer, lengthier runs, where you don't want, you're not going to want to depend on all something from a gel. You're wanting to get multiple carbohydrate sources, right? And if those carbohydrates are not in your electrolytes, may have GI issues, may not be getting enough carbs. So they can have a place, right, outside of some of these training sessions. But to exclusively use that as your pro- your product like during training is probably not the best fit for most people. I actually had a client recently mentioned that uh, team sport client but mentioned that a specific company that is just purely electrolytes dropped off uh, a box for them to hand out after practices and we had gotten in a good rhythm of this client having gatorade right during their practices because they were lengthy and uh, this person sent me a picture and was like what do you think of this and i was like oh that's just purely an electrolyte supplement like you can have that if you want after afterwards or in your day but let's continue with the plan of using the electrolytes in your post-workout carbs and protein use that take that and use that elsewhere in your day because you could still use it just not there and also educating that you know caffeine no matter the marketing is not Ooh. fuel yes <laughs> not energy not, not energy. like that <laughs> Uh, pre-workout, which is like mostly caffeine, again, not fuel. When we talk about fuel mm-hmm. and energy, we are talking about carbohydrates and calories, not yes. sodium and branched-chain yes. amino acids. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the caffeine part. It can be helpful in circumstances, I understand, but it's not the the energy that – it's not comparable to food. They're not the same. Food energy is food. It's energy, right? It's not – it's not caffeine. <laughs> and it is challenging. I mean, for the average person who's probably gotten a lot of their nutrition information from marketing mm-hmm. and more of the headline stuff that's been out about nutrition since in their lifetime, that they would find these things confusing to navigate, that they don't mm-hmm. understand the difference between caffeine and branched-chain amino acids and actual carbohydrates when it comes to pre-run fueling. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with not knowing that. But, you know, it's just so frustrating that it it can be so challenging just to communicate basic nutrition information. Right, right. No, I agree with you. It's 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 a tough world out there with nutrition, right? Because we eat. So we generally speaking, a lot of we all eat. So we all have this. uh, A lot of people we think have these expertise like I eat. Therefore, I'm an expert in this. And you're you're definitely the expert when it comes to your own body. Right. But with nutrition, it's it's different. And we all have unique needs, but also similarly have similar needs. Yes. (laughs) The last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I thought this was really interesting. Um, we talked about this before, younger clients, older clients, kind of fads. Mm-hmm. Do you notice different kind of generational or gender difference beliefs in certain ways of eating or like diet culture beliefs that are more common in different age groups or among different genders? I'm just curious. As somebody who is, a, I'm, a, I'm a millennial, I'm firmly in the millennial camp. And mm-hmm. I grew up in the age of like, heroin chic and everything had to have zero fat and that you know (laughs) caffeine was a meal replacement you know and I know that we you know different different people have had different experiences in their lifetime but I'm just curious yeah yeah no I I absolutely do you know again with my older clientele uh, I would say that I'm more prone to seeing more so like low fat like doing everything like low fat as possible i would say certainly in the millennial group it's more so how can i eat and and i know that 
essentially, right? We're all trying to do the same thing by, by doing these, you know, restrictions in different food groups. We're all just lowering energy availability, but more so uh, I see in the millennials that we grew up with the idea that low fat is the way to go somehow low carb slid into that too. So we almost have this like low fat turned into like low carb belief, right? Well, it's also, and, I mean, we are also exposed to Atkins and then basically yes. low carb fat, which is the same, which is also Atkins 2.0. So, I mean, I yes. feel like, yeah, people who are in their late twenties to late thirties were all like eating, if we could eat only protein, that would be, you know, what we were told was practically the ideal diet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I always joke, it's like, okay, if we had a plate and food, uh, food in front of us and we looked at this plate and then we thought of all the things we've heard over our lifetime, we'd be left with like a leaf of lettuce on our plate. And how delicious does that look? <laughs> and we didn't even talk about protein, but I feel like the, the beliefs around, obviously protein's important, Mm -hmm. But for endurance athletes, protein alone is insufficient in your fueling. Right, right. I mean, carbohydrates are your predominant, it's what your body thrives off of, is your predominant fuel. It's easily, most easily accessible food, fuel source. So protein is certainly important. And I honestly argue, I would argue that when I'm looking at athletes' diets, Oftentimes, yes, carbohydrates are low, but sometimes the protein's a little bit low. It just really depends on the person. Um, so protein needs certainly higher than some think, but not as high as some people think. Uh, I've seen like the mix of things. Like I need to eat this much, like I need to eat two grams per kilogram. It's like, well, we now you actually probably could make more room for more carbs. Um, and then I've seen people just like not even thinking of the protein. <laughs> oh man, nutrition, fascinating. <laughs> simple, simple yet complex, right? And something yes. I think it's important to remember that your relationship with food may change throughout your life and it yep. probably should change right the our our belief systems should evolve as we are um, confronted with new information and learn to assimilate that into what works best for us absolutely absolutely i agree and no matter what i guess avenue you want to explore like it think about how you're thinking about it on a regular basis and if you're coming from the restrictive mindset you know it's never too late to work on that stuff, right? And try to put aside this belief of things being perfect, right? That doesn't exist. Like you can make some small adjustments or changes the way that you think about things, right? You know, bump up, maybe bump up your, your carb on the plate by just like a little bit. Maybe it's like a handful or take that extra gel with you on the run. We don't have to go to like the all or nothing, right? But we can start with small changes. And that's really hard, I think, for a lot of runners who self-describe as being very type A. Mm -hmm. Like I just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm all in or I'm all out. And the idea of just kind of doing a little bit, like that's almost more challenging than asking them to make like massive changes to their lifestyle. I'm like, I don't want you to change anything except for this one little thing. They're like, what? <laughs> Isn't that funny? We, we automatically assume that if we're making changes, they need to be grueling and hard, but no, like they can be easy and actually really successful for you. I just think it's so important to connect the the, the knowing to the doing to actually like let it sit in and like feel it and feel the difference because if you're just like pushing through all the things without any thought or connection to what you're doing they're probably not going to be sustainable or practical changes you're not going to know why you were doing it you might not be able to repeat it because you're like oh yeah she had me do this thing but like what what did you do and why did you do it in the first place make that connection yes Yes, I, I mean, I personally think that running in this sport, like for us everyday runners, this is really just an avenue for us to learn more about ourselves mm -hmm. and, and kind of 
explore our full potential like in all avenues of our life not just as runners but as like healthy human beings and uh, I've, I can't tell you the number of clients that I've worked with one-on-one who after us working together for a time have gone on to commit to working with the dietitian or have gotten you know some blood work done that revealed xyz or have mm-hmm. i had one runner actually started going to a sleep lab because she really wanted to figure out her sleep problems because you know it's all it's like it allowing yourself like trying to find your best performance can open the door sometimes to allowing you to then explore these other areas in your life which you may need a little help in yeah yeah it's so multifaceted with health right nutrition is like one slice of that pie so there's so much Natalie, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, this is just a really fascinating conversation. I know there are a lot of probably roads we could have walked down. And I'm thinking like, I should have asked this. I should have asked her that. Um, <laughs> we could talk all day. <laughs> talk all day about this. Um, so if uh, tell, us, tell us where we can find you and, and learn from you. If somebody's interested in working with you, uh, where can they do that? Definitely, definitely. So you can certainly find me on Instagram. Be Fueled Sports Nutrition is my handle on Instagram. I have my my DMs are always open. If you want to shoot me a message, let me know what you thought uh, of podcast episode. But I have a little link tree thing there. You could kind of check out the things that we're offering. You can also head to my website with at it's www.befueledsn. Com. And we have a lot of cool things going on. We have a, a membership society that we have going on where there's classes and Q&A sessions that you could pop into, which is really cool. Uh, we definitely have some space for one-on-one clients. And then next, in 2023, this is kind of like an exclusive. I haven't actually shared this with anyone. I don't know what it's going to be called. I don't know exactly um, what it fully is, but I know it's going to be on focus on a mindset and with nutrition and how you can, if you're looking to make like health changes in the new year, right? right? Take control of some of your health. It doesn't have to be extreme. We can approach this through a very um, health focused, feeling things out approach that doesn't have to like derail everything that you're currently doing. We can be kind to yourself and have a positive relationship with food and the exercise piece. So I'm excited about that. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's one of the best things I think about this journey for a lot of people um, is learning more, like you said, learning more about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how many people come to you and say, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I, people come to me, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Just put it in my schedule and I'll do it. And I'm like, this mm-hmm. is not about that. This is about you learning about yourself along mm-hmm. the way so that eventually you will be able to make these really highly informed decisions that are best for you in whatever capacities the decision needs to be made. Um, and nutrition is exactly like that, right? The, the goal is not to have somebody like you tell somebody what to eat kind mm-hmm. of ever or for the rest of their lives. It's about learning the skills that you need to then be self-sufficient in this capacity. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but when a client has that light bulb moment of like, oh, I did this on my run, or I did this different with my week, with my meal preparation, and wow, what a difference this made for X, Y, and Z. Like when they, when you have those light bulb moments of like, oh my gosh, like I feel like I just leveled up, right? It's it's incredible because you know that they've really ad- adapted, adopted that and how positively it changes their life and their nutrition and their exercise. So it's really cool to see that. It's the coolest, that's why we yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Natalie, thank you. All of your, uh, if you want to find Natalie, all those uh, resources she mentioned will be linked in the show notes. I'm very excited to see this course as you debut it next year. So thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.